welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning and welcome to Awaken. My name is Jane Berg and I am on the staff here. And I have chosen um, as our call to worship Jen Richardson's Blessing of Hope. So may we know the hope that is not just for someday, but for this day, here, now, in this moment that opens to us. Hope not made of wishes, but of substance. Hope made of sinew and muscle and bone. Hope that has breath and a beating heart. Hope that will not keep quiet and be polite. Hope that knows how to holler when it is called for. Hope that knows how to sing when there seems little cause. Hope that raises us from the dead. Not someday, but this day, every day, again and again and again. All right, if you want to make your way to your seats. Um, I'm Micah, by the way, if we haven't met. Super glad you're here. If you're new this morning, we're really glad that you're with us. Uh, We'd love to know that you're here. So in the seat pockets in front of you there or the pews or online, you can fill out a a card that's uh, I'm new and let us know that you were here. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Uh, That would be a huge gift to us. Um, Also, if you have tithes and offerings, those and the cards can go in the black boxes at the exits. Uh, We're grateful for those. A couple of quick announcements before we jump in. Um, Lenten gatherings are happening uh, on Wednesday nights, so midweek, 6.30 here. uh, Short little half hour, 40 minutes. We're walking with St. Francis, uh, the music and prayer and just time to be together. So invite some of you, uh, maybe who haven't made it yet, to stop by. There is a, um, a panel happening on April the 3rd from 7 to 8.30. Jane Berg, who led our call to worship this morning, um, has a, a, gr- a group of people, a panel of people who are going to be talking about spiritual journey and what it means to be on one and where they are and the differences between them. Um, so you can tune into that if you're interested. And then the garden uh, team, which is part of my responsibilities here, Uh, is happening and starting. It's getting warm. There are some green things actually growing in the ground, which is exciting. So May the 14th, we have a garden work day that's coming up. But more than that, we're looking to recruit a team of people who just kind of hold this part of our ministry uh, this summer. So that means watering and planting and sort of nurturing and caring for the garden. If you're interested, uh, let me know. Uh, There's a link in the Awaken Weekly. You can sign up for that. That would be awesome. Sound good? Um, Friends, there has been a mask survey that you all participated in. That survey is closed, and I come to you with a report this morning. Are you ready for that report? That's like at, you know, the annual meeting, Robert's Rules. Are you ready for the question? Yes. Um, So seriously, first of all, thank you for your engagement. Over 200 of you um, gave your feedback, and that's really helpful. We've tried to make decisions on your behalf throughout this pandemic, and that's challenging. So when you engage and let us know, that's super helpful. I'll tell you what we're doing and then why. Uh, We are going to continue masking through Easter uh, Sunday, which is April 17th, and then April the 24th, masks will be optional in the building at Awaken. 
Uh, Here's the rationale behind that. Paul, in his book to the Roman church, talks about freedom and responsibility, ironically. Um, (laughs) That is only ironic to, like, people who are way deep in the weeds in the covenant because there's this document called Freedom and Responsibility that none of us like. But I'm going to talk about freedom and responsibility. Paul talks about it. He says, to those of you who... um, who eat meat sacrificed to idols. So to a Jewish person, that's a no-no in the Old Testament, not something you could do. But in this new covenant, in this new world, according to a number of things and what happens to Peter in the book of Acts, meat sacrificed to idols was on the table again. It was available. And you were free to eat it if you wanted to. You were free to eat it if your conscience allowed you to. And so many in the Roman church did. But then Paul goes on to say, for those of you who can't or who, for whom it is a struggle to be in the room with those eating meat sacrificed to idols or to be part of a gathering where that's happening, that might cause you to stumble, Paul basically says, to those of you who can, please don't. For the sake of community, for the sake of relationship, because you're bound to one another, maybe set aside your personal freedom in order to say yes to your responsibility to your brother or sister in Christ, Right? Um, The data shows that the majority of people at Awaken are ready for a shift in mask policy. Uh, Said differently, most folks are ready for uh, masks to be optional. And for those who choose to wear them, like blessings, we support that. And for those that don't, awesome. Um, However, there is a a number of people, there are a number of people at Awaken for whom that brings a lot of anxiety still. Uh, Whether they be immunocompromised or haven't been able to be vaccinated or have health conditions that would... Uh, right? A number of factors, there are people in our church who are just like not ready for that yet. So, um, large gatherings of people in close proximity to one another singing in a non-ventilated building. That's like the worst case scenario according to the CDC, and that is this. <laughs> right? So we just thought, you know what? Easter is such a special day, and we really would like anybody and everybody who's willing and able and wants to come to Easter without anxiety. We just say, you know what? For the sake of community and relationships, those who are ready for a change, would you go through Easter so that we can have that day together and not, um, not uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, inadvertently make somebody who would come not able to come, right? So um, that's what we're asking. Uh, for those that, that still feel like masking is important and you want to do that, just a couple of things we want to let you know we are going to do uh, after Easter. The balcony will be available and will be a mask-only space. So if that's something that you need to feel safe, uh, for whatever reason, that space will be available. You can sneak up through there and not have a ton of exposure with everybody else and still be in the building, and we think that that's a a good option in our space. The live stream is still happening at 11, so that is still available to you. Um, And that is uh, what we're doing. So um, thank you. Most of the time, you are a joy to lead as a church. Like, more often than not, you are just a ton of fun to be a part of and a joy to lead. And so we're grateful as a staff uh, to, be, uh, to be pastors at such a great church. So thank you. All right? Sound good? Let's rock and roll, people. Numbers chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, turn there. It's week three of Lent. Those of you who have given something up for Lent, you only have like three more days uphill. And then it's just coasting downhill to Easter, okay? We're going to make it. As a series, we're just cr- we're cranking this thing up. We're ratcheting it up. We're, um, we're doing this series called 40. Today, we're talking about the spies and Moses who sent them into the land. Next week, we're talking about Joshua who waited 40 years to lead a group of people. Uh, what you learn in the waiting. Three weeks, my friend Lisa is going to talk about David and Goliath. Did you know Goliath taunted the Israelites for 40 days? Every day for 40 days. 
Uh, and then it's Palm Sunday and Easter. And then we'll close up this series uh, with, uh, in the book of Acts, the 40 days between resurrection and ascension. And then we're off into spring and summer, and my gosh, it's going to be fall and winter and Advent again. <laughs> Slow down, Micah. Jeez Louise. Um, but today we're talking about the spies. I asked Mel to play Spies by Coldplay, and she just said no. So I just listened to it on Spotify this week instead. Such a great, how about one of the greatest records from start to finish of my lifetime? Amen to that? Coldplay parachutes? All right. Um, Phoenicia is going to come and read the text for us. So if you are able, please stand. Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 1, and we'll jump to verse 27 after a couple of verses. So Phoenicia, take it away. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. When, men Mo when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit from the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Libo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the Valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Pray with me, if you would. <clears throat> God, this morning we come to you in this place as a community of people gathered in your name, Jesus. And we do so with varying degrees of faith and excitement or dread. Um, and I recognize that uh, it's all here and somehow in your economy it, it all belongs. So would you uh, find us, meet us where we are, walk with us, um, invite us to be more and more the kinds of people that you know that we can be, that you created us to be, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. Um, <clears throat> Award-winning pronunciation of names by Phoenicia, right? I mean, man, oh man, just nailed it. Wow, there was a lot going on there in that passage. So the spies go up, okay, context, right? Moses is called burning bush, leads the Israelites out of, out of Egypt in the Exodus through the Red Sea. They go down the Sinai Peninsula, back up the Sinai, the other side of the Sinai Peninsula, and they are now at the bottom, the southern end of the entrance to Canaan, the promised land. And they're about to enter this land that God promised them. God said that they would, they would be, inherit, right, as their uh, home, and so they're about to enter the land. The book of Numbers says that God sent them into the land, but actually the book of Deuteronomy, there's two accounts to this story. The book of Deuteronomy says that it was the people's idea, and Moses said that's a good idea, so they sent spies into the land. So which is it? I don't know. <laughs> 
That uh, may be a lost in translation, like when the Bible contradicts itself, but that's one of them. Um, either way, the, the spies go into the land, 12 of them, and they find that it is what God says it was it, and is, that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. They cut off a cluster of grapes that they need two guys to carry. I mean, that's a giant cluster of grapes, right? Uh, it's, uh, but the people there, they're huge. The cities are fortified, and um, it's a scary place. That, that they, they don't think that they're going to make it. So if you keep going in the story, you know that 10 of the spies say one thing and two of the spies say the other thing. What I want to do this morning is look at this story um, from, from the perspective of they're there for 40 days. So what is it that's going on in this group of people? Um, what are the invitations? Um, if you're new and just joining us, 40 in the Bible, which is the series that we're in, is not just a number. It's not just a declaration of how many there were or how long it was. It's rather, um, uh, boy, a state of being. It is a, it's a motif. It's a, there's something that's happening in 40. And often something is dying and something is being reborn. Something is being let go of in order for something else to be received. It's a, a season of preparation, of nurture, of like unveiling and illumination. Think about a woman who nurtures life in their body for 40 weeks, right? There's a lot going on there, a lot being prepared. And that's often what happens in the Bible. There are threads and sort of rivers that happen in the Bible. Um, and so we're going to look at this 40 as that. Uh, one Catholic father, Wade Menezes, says this about 40. He says, it means something. It brings to mind such qualities as repentance, newness, preparation, examination, transformation, fulfillment, escape from bondage and slavery, nourishment and growth, and ultimately new generation and new life. So I want to pull out some of these things that we see in this experience for the Israelites and for these spies. The first of which is, I, I want to suggest that this is an invitation, 40 is often, and this one in particular, an invitation to see as God sees. I mentioned these rivers in the text. There are motifs, there are threads that run from almost beginning to end often. Uh, a couple of them, for example, the number 40 is one of them. The idea of tov, or what is good, the Hebrew word for good is tov. So um, God says, you know, in the, in the creation story, that declares something as good. Moses' mother declares Moses as good. He's a fine child, the text says. That's the word tov. But what is good is a thread that runs through the story. Um, uh, what is a test in the, in the Bible? Uh, this moment where the, the one who's being tested, it's, an, it's actually a moment where we see what's in their heart uh, is another thread that runs through Scripture. Egypt, as this narrow place geographically, but also a spiritual state of being where it's a narrow place, a very difficult place to see and experience the presence of the divine. Um, and what does it mean to see is another one of these threads that goes through the story. Um, early on in the, the, in the scriptures, if you remember, Lot lifts up his eyes and likens the plains of Egypt to the Garden of Eden. Egypt, the narrow place where God cannot be worshipped or is difficult to find, he likens it to Egypt or, or Eden. What does it mean to see? In the same passage, God causes Abram to lift up his eyes and causes Mo, uh, Abram to see something. Hagar names the wilderness that she's in as the place where God, or the, the God who sees me. 
um, Jacob tricks his father Isaac. He pretends to be Esau, who cannot see. So what does it mean to see is a question that's consistently coming up in Scripture. And more than that, what does it mean to see as God sees? Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where two different people or a group of people experience the same thing, they see the same thing, but then they have different reports of that event, yeah? Um, You look at the same data, you read the same data points, and then you explain it very differently. Because often we see what we want to see, or our seeing is informed by our past. Our seeing is informed by the lens through which we see the world. Um, Our experience of a reality of a particular situation is informed and influenced by the things that inform and influence us. Your tradition, your faith, your spirituality, your the color of your skin, where you've come from, right? So what does it mean to see is a complicated question. It's not just what do you perceive, but what does it mean to see? And what informs our seeing? What does it mean to see as God sees? When you look at your neighbor who is annoying as the day is long, you see one thing, but what does God see when God looks at your neighbor? Are those two things different? When you look at your coworker down the way who, you know, well, and you see one thing, what, what does God see when God perceives that person? Your child who's struggling, right? So you can, you can begin to uh, unpack or enter into this question of what does it mean to see, and what does it mean to see as God sees someone or a situation? And I think this is one of those cases in the Bible where the Israelites are invited to see as God sees, right? Ten spies come back and they say, no way, Jose, it's not going to happen. They're giants over there. They're cities. You can't break them down. The walls are huge. They're massive. They're thick. And two spies say, hey, the Lord was faithful there and there and there and there. And there's this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Lord will go with us to... Twelve people seeing the same thing, but interpreting very different realities. So what does it mean to see as God sees? And I would even add to that, what does it mean to see through the eyes of faith? What does it mean to see through the eyes of faith? Meaning that there may be an impossible situation in front of you, one that you don't see a way forward, but you know God to be faithful in your past. You've seen God act again and again. We have the scriptures. We have a whole host, a river of tradition and saints and mothers and fathers who have come before us who testify to this fact, and so we see the future through the eyes of faith in the present. We trust, we choose to believe that what we perceive in front of us may not be all that there is going on at the present moment, right? That there there is a God at work that maybe you don't see and perceive, but you know to be true and real who is at work in the world and who wants good things, who is that, that which is love and light and hope and forgiveness. That's the divine character that you know. And so you see through the eyes of faith. So just a pause for a moment this morning. What's in front of you? What situation at your work or in your family or um, in the world might you be invited to see as God sees with potential and possibility, with future instead of a dead end or a dead beat? 
where maybe there's some resurrection happening right below the surface that you don't see, but you trust. You see with a different lens, right? You see with different kinds of eyes. So what's in front of you? You can choose every day to pray Nicodemus's prayer. Lord, help me see. God, help me to see. Where I'm blind to something, open my eyes. You can choose to pray that prayer daily. You can live that rhythm in your life. God, help me to see as you see. And help me to trust and recount and recall the ways in which you've been faithful so that I can see the future through the eyes of faith. What might change in your reality? How might you show up differently if that posture was the default or one that you're learning to live from? To see as God sees and to see with the eyes of faith. I love the Bible sometimes. Uh, the period of 40 days for the Israelites, right? This invitation to see as God sees and through the eyes of faith. But it also, it, it exposes what we believe about ourselves and about God, these moments of 40, these seasons of preparation and nurture. For the Israelites, it becomes very clear, these 10, what they believe about themselves and what they believe about God, right? Verse 31, Caleb stands up and he speaks this word of faith, sees through the eyes of faith and says, no, we can go into the land. God is with us. And the, the other 10 say, we cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread this, Israel, this, this report among the Israelites. And these seasons of formation... If I have learned anything, and if I can offer any wisdom to you, I would remind you that sooner or later, what rises to the surface is what we believe about ourselves. And ultimately, what we believe about God. And what's fascinating about this sentence, where they say, they are stronger than we are, that word right there at the end, then we are, is the Hebrew word memenu, and it can mean than we but it can also mean then him. It can be both the first person plural or the third person singular, or maybe even and the third person singular. The spies make a very clear declaration about what they believe about themselves as a community. They believe that the people who occupy the land in front of them, that God has promised them, are stronger than they are. They don't believe they have the power, the skill, the grit, the resource, the tenacity, whatever it need, whatever's needed to do what they've been invited to do. Though they, those in the land, are stronger than we, the Israelites. And they make a very clear declaration about what they believe to be true about themselves. They're stronger than we are. And that's, an, that's a correct interpretation. And, at the same time, the language allows for, right, Caleb has just stood up, he says, we, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. And he doesn't tell us all the details of how he thinks it's going to happen, but the implication is, we, with God's help, should go and take the land. We, with God, can do it. And you can read this word, memenu, both ways. They reveal what they believe about themselves. They are stronger than we are. And they reveal what they believe about God. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than him. Because what's just come before that, so it makes sense that they would be responding to that, is what Caleb has said. That the divine presence is with them, so they can go. And they say, no, we can't attack those people because they are stronger than him. The divine. Even after 
a life, a, a journey, all the way back from the, 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 uh, Egypt and the Exodus, all these moments along the way where God has been faithful, 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 they stand at this moment and they say, well, they're stronger than God. They're stronger than we are. I mean, what a bunch of idiots. <laughs> but you've never done that. You've never had a lifetime of faithful experiences where God has been faithful to you to show up for you to show up to uh, and, and then stand in a new place and allow fear and anxiety to control your destiny, to control your future. Never done that before, right? So what does it mean to see as God sees and to see through the eyes of faith? But also notice what rises up the things that we believe about ourselves and about God. And they, they don't stop there, friends. They actually go further. They then take this fear and anxiety and insecurity and project it into the, into the world. Like, look at verse 33. They say, we saw the Nephilim there. These are the giants of, of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Just a quick question for you. How do they know what they, those people thought of them? How do they know what they thought? How do you know what your coworker thinks? How do you know what your spouse thinks? And yet, do we ever like project? This is classic. There's a lot of therapists that go to Awaken. I learn a lot from them. Um, this is called projection. When we take our issues or anxiety, or fear, or insecurity, and we project it into the world and onto another person or a situation, and then we act as if it's true. <laughs> and we allow that insecurity, anxiety, fear to dictate how we move forward. And I'm just going to say out loud, this will not bear fruit living this way. I remember as a, as a young parent, uh, when my, young, my oldest... Um, like terribly uh, active and um, coordinated, like body awareness. So we'd go to the playground and Hadley would just like be doing all kinds of crazy things on monkey bars and swings. And um, I actually was thinking about showing you this video and it didn't really fit, but I just, it's such a cute video of my youngest Lyndon. Literally, like we have a video of them uh, in the backyard climbing up the side of the swing set and then traversing across each of the apparatus and then, like, getting to the end. Ta-da! It's lovely. I, you know, oh, I miss those little bodies. But the point of the story is, people at the playground would be, they, they would just be like, oh, oh, please, please, stop, stop, don't do, don't do that. Other parents. And my child would look to me as if to say, like, I can do this, right? And I'd be like, you're good. Keep her going. And then they would just keep going, right? But these, consistently I found, like, <laughs> these people would be very anxious and they would, like, project that anxiety into the world as if it was needed or necessary in this moment. But I knew they're fine. They've done this a hundred times. They could do way more than that. They could climb higher if we wanted them to. But they, they, they projected this anxiety into the world and they, like, acted as if, like, this was needed and necessary and true. And right for the moment. Friends, I share that illustration because I think we do this like daily. Where we allow whatever we're wrestling with, struggling with, fear, anxiety, uh, anger, uncertainty. 
and we, we project that into the world, and then we act as if that's true and real. And I just don't think that's very wise. Uh, I'm often found saying this to people in my home. Don't answer a question for somebody else that they can answer for themselves. Right? Don't answer a question for somebody else they can answer for themselves. Don't project your fear, your anxiety, what you think they think. And don't, and it, in life it's not going to bear much fruit, and in the spiritual life it doesn't bear fruit. And here we see the Israelites, literally, these ten spies, doing this. Saying, oh, this is what they think of us. They think we're grasshoppers. They think they can, they can wipe us out. You don't know that. So don't allow those things to be dictate or influence or make your steps, your path, your, your future. Never a good idea. And I'll end, I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, we see this invitation to see as God sees and see through the lens of faith. Um, this moment where the Israelites are invited to what's, what's true about themselves and what they believe about God rises to the surface. And then last, uh, an invitation to find the faithful minority. And maybe I would even interchange the word faith-filled minority. If you've ever been in a situation like the Israelites find themselves in, right, this time of testing, this moment of revelation where uh, something is being nurtured, maybe something is dying so that something else can be born in you, there is often, uh, there are 10 spies that come back and say, no good, can't do it, probably shouldn't try this today, Uh, it's going to be bad news. But there are two. There is a small minority, a faith-filled minority of people who are trusting, who are seeing through the lens of faith, trusting that God will be God. And I just will encourage you, as we close this morning, when you find yourself here, in these seasons and in these moments, I said this a couple weeks ago in the form of there is always manna, there's always provision. I would say, similarly, there's always a remnant. There's always a faith-filled few that are nearby and find them. You are not alone out there. That's just not how God works. I I would testify to it time and time again, and I I would argue that there are people in this room who would argue that. So find the faith-filled minority and nestle up close to them, draft off of them if you need to, uh, to see through the eyes of faith, to help them help, like, help, allow them to help you imagine a future that maybe you can't see for yourself. Because when we, and it's, it's easy to find the naysayers and the cynics and the folks who are just lobbing questions and lobbing doubts in there. Like, that's, that's, cynicism is super easy. But to stop and say, you know what? God has been faithful in my life up to this point. And if there are a couple of people, a few faith-filled folks out here in the wilderness who I can stand with and say, you know what? I'm not alone in this. this is, I'm not insane, right? No, you're not. You, you, you have every reason to believe that this is true, that this is what God is inviting you to. Find those people. Hopefully they're a part of this community. And these are your compatriots. These are your travel companions. These are your peregrinos, your, your pilgrimage folks. Like, find them and hang, hang on. Because you're going to need them. We're going to need them. I'm going to need them. When we're all alone out there, and the only voice that you can hear is your own, man, it's really easy to say, oh, they're giants. There's no way. But a different future is being invited. And so, how do we step into it? Uh, this is a story of 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days 
of being tested and seeing what is revealed in the Israelites. And we see an invitation to see as God sees, to see through the eyes of faith, uh, to not let our own insecurities be projected into the world when we don't know, you don't know what that person thinks, and to find those faithful few to journey with. So let me move to a time of silence. I want to invite you uh, to hear from the Spirit of God and what hear maybe what God might be saying for you this morning. So pray with me if you would. God, for just a moment, we want to pause and quiet our hearts and listen to what you might be saying. Friends, it's always good to be with you. And, uh, you know, you'd think after so many years of doing this, I'd I would not be surprised that the Spirit works and uh, moves and leads like in our actual lives. I was just thinking about that song we sang out of silence and the invitation of like, you say go, we will go. If you say wait, we will wait. We'll step out on the water and if they say it can't be done, we'll go. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot there for us as a community, right? A lot of unknown and a lot of uncertainty. I'll say for me, Personally, I experience that on the daily. Um, And yet, we're going to trust that in this season of formation, that God's doing something. God's at work, shaping and nurturing and growing something in us. Uh, And hopefully, we'll put on glasses of faith and see whatever is in front of us through those those lenses. Uh, Trusting that God will be there also. Yeah? So I hope you leave encouraged. I hope you leave uh, ready for whatever's in front of you this week. Um, And if not, maybe this will help. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.